Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. We've been going through Ephesians and working our way through there and really diving deep into that, which has been incredible. Uh, and this morning I have the privilege to kind of close it out on the topic of the armour of God. And I really love the armour of God. It's something that I remember from Sunday school as a kid. There was all these songs, you know, I march in the infantry. Does anyone else remember that? Cool. I was really worried that I was going to be like that weird kid. Um, but I really love this, this topic of the armor of God because there's a lot of power, there's a lot of spirit in there. And, and basically where it comes from is Paul's just spent this kind of whole passage talking to us and telling us about all these instructions he has and these incredible letters he's written to the church in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, sorry. Uh, and basically now he's kind of closing it out and he's saying, now that I've told you this, go and put on the armor of God. He's giving us, this is his final instruction to go into the world with the armor of God, right? So he's telling people to put on the right outfit. Has anyone ever worn the wrong outfit somewhere? Whew. Maybe you went to a party that you thought was a costume party and wasn't a costume party. I cannot confirm nor deny whether I did that as a taco. Um, sometimes you, you just end up wearing the wrong outfit or in a scenario where the outfit doesn't fit. My little brother, he's not here so I can say anything I want. Uh, we used to play cricket in the backyard. It was like a family tradition. Christmas Day, you name it, Sundays, we would play cricket in the backyard and we'd all be standing around and we'd be like, hey, Nick, do you want a bat? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I want a bat. And then he would take off inside. And we're like, what the heck's he doing? Like, Why? We asked you to bat. Why are you going inside? We would literally like wait 10 minutes. It got to the point that we, we learned just continue playing cricket. He'll come back out when he's ready to bat. But what he would do is he would go inside and he had a little whippersnipper toy that had goggles. So he would put goggles on. Then he would have a little armor of God uh, plastic night kind of kit and he would put that helmet on totally wrong like it was like Shrek put on that kind of way he found shin pads because we played soccer but then he put them on his arms uh, and then found another pair of shin pads and put them on his legs and he would come out to play cricket to bat like that and I'm like what the heck are you like are you facing Brett Lee or are you it's like what the heck he would wear this outfit but to him it empowered him to do what he was meant to do he was prepared. He was wearing what he wanted to feel comfortable to bat, right? Because there is power, there is freedom in when we put on the right outfit. So much like my brother feeling safe and comfortable in his ridiculous outfit to play cricket, sometimes you can't enjoy the church. You can't enjoy the moment in life. You can't go, go through the battle and the struggle without putting on the right outfit, which is why we have this passage that says, put on the armour of God. And my fear today is that too many Christians are wearing the wrong outfit. We're facing these battles, we're facing these struggles, and we're not equipped because we're wearing the wrong outfit. So let's be a church that doesn't wear the wrong thing and finds freedom in wearing what God has told us to wear, because God wants freedom for us all, doesn't He? But the reality is we have to fight for that freedom. Just because we're Christians, it's not easy. We're told we have to fight. So we see in this passage in Ephesians 6.10, if you want to turn there, you've got a Bible, that's amazing. If you've got an iPad, that's awesome, or it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but basically, Paul is telling his friends in Ephesus that basically this is what you are to wear into the spiritual battle. And so it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So that's his reason for us to put this on, right? He's given us the backstory that says things are going to be tough. Wear this, be prepared. 
So then it continues, Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then it finally closes with, And pray that the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord and His people. So let's just pray really quickly. Lord, I pray that today as I speak, Lord, that you can impart something to everyone here today. Lord, that people are open, people are expectant, and Lord, that you just change us today. We leave this building with a fresh revelation for you this morning, God. Amen. I really love this passage, and I believe that we could spend all day in an entire message on each individual piece of armour. There's so much in all of that there, and we could look at everything individually. But I also believe that there is power, and we can also be equipped if we just understand a couple of simple truths about this armour of God. So is that okay if we dive into those this morning? Truth number one that I believe the armour of God fits us all. If you're taking notes, the armour of God fits us all. Who else, when, when you think of like the armour of God, thinks of this kind of little image of uh, kids' plastic armour? I'm not going to lie, I tried to order one and bring it in and put it on, but that was going to be too much effort. But who else thinks of that? Like, did anyone else have that as a kid? My brother and I had one. Uh, and, and unfortunately, so many of us read this passage and almost tune out and switch off because in our minds we go, the armour of God is just a kid's song and a kid's piece of plastic armour. We switch off and we don't take the full weight of it. And I think somehow as we get older, the armour of God is actually more and more important for us every single day. It's not just a piece of kid's armour. So the problem with picturing the armour of God as a plastic toy is that it doesn't fit me. Physically, I will not fit into that. I didn't try, but I will not fit into that. And it doesn't picture, uh, if we picture it like this, then when we're going into the battle, the spiritual battle, we go, well, it doesn't fit, so what's the point of trying to put it on? What's the point of trying to live with the armour of God? So my question is this, what if one way that the enemy has neutralised this beautiful passage is to put into our mind the thought that it's not for us, that the armour of God is just a kid's toy? What if that's one way that the enemy has neutralised the power of this passage? See, the reality is, as we grow older, the armour of God, we need it more every single day. The box knows that if you go to buy it, it says for ages three up. Why can't we understand that sometimes every single day we just need to put on the armour of God? It's meant for you and for I, no matter how old or how young. We understand that if we need to fight and if we're going to fight this fight for freedom, God's armour is for every single one of us and it fits every single one of us. So we need to wake up we need to suit up each and every day by putting on the armour of God, the breastplate, the helmet, the shield, the sword, the shoes, everything that we are given in this passage is for all of us every single day. Why? Well, I think number two, the truth number two is that the armour of God is absolutely essential. It's not a passage to take lightly. To survive in life in Christianity, Christianity this is not optional. This is not a passage that we can take and leave in bits and pieces. It is not optional. Paul doesn't say, if you face a spiritual struggle. He doesn't say, if the enemy comes. He doesn't say, if the day of evil arrives. He said, when. When you face struggle, when you face the evil and the enemy, when you wear this armour, you have power against that. Because it's going to come. We're all fighting this spiritual battle. 
Part of what Paul is doing here in this passage is he's helping us realize that there's more than what we see on this earth with our two eyes. What we see in front of us is, is this world that God's created, but what He's helping us realize is there's a spiritual battle that we can't see with our two eyes. There's a fight from the heavenly realms that is going on every single day around us. So we need to, as men and women of faith, as Christian believers, suit up for battle every day that we're going to face. We need to prepare spiritually for the battle. And I think, I think part of the reason Paul puts this at the end of Ephesians is because he wants this to be the lasting memory. Who only remembers the last four words of what your mother says? That was the story of my life. I think Paul realises that if he put this powerful equipping passage last, people would take a little bit more and take it a bit more seriously and remember it, hopefully that little bit better. Because when we're attacked, if we're not equipped, we're not ready. We can't stand. And unless we put on God's protection, we cannot stand in the battle we face every day. Because it's not by my power. It's not by my strength or my prayer or my worship. It's by the power of God alone that we can stand against the enemy. So today, are you wearing the armor of God? Truth number three is that if you notice, the armor of God is almost entirely defensive. The armor of God is almost all for defense. If you read and study this passage, you'll start to see that, uh, you know, you've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the shoes equipped with the gospel and the helmet of salvation. All that is defensive to protect you. As a soldier, you would wear that to be, you know, to stop a sword from hitting you in the chest and slicing you in half. It's defensive pieces of armor. And then at the end of the passage, Paul slips in this weapon almost as if to say, oh, by the way, when you're equipped for defense, don't forget, take up your weapon, which is the Word of God. Take up the weapon, which is the Word of God. And I want to spend a little bit more time on this because we're issued with these entirely defensive protection pieces of armor. So what does it mean when we're only given one piece of offensive battle, uh, one piece to attack with? It means everything else is meant to protect us, but there's nothing other than the Word of God that we can fight with. It is only the Word of God that we can fight back with the enemy. That's it. We need, to be under, we need to understand that we've been given this special weapon and we need to use it. We need to know how to use it. This is the only way, through this Word of God here, this is the only way that we can push back what the enemy comes against us with. Do you know that one of the oldest tactics in the Bible that Satan uses to, to make us uh, in, in the war against mankind, the oldest tactic he uses is to make us question the Word of God. That's it. He's really got nothing else other than to make us question the Word of God. It's literally the oldest trick in the book. If we go back to the Genesis story, if you want, you can flick back to Genesis, but I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for us. Uh, we have the eternal everlasting God that creates all things and they are good. And what happens is God speaks everything into creation, doesn't He? With His words, everything is formed. It is created. But then there's this moment when the story and everything changes. Instead of speaking something into existence, God actually reaches down with His hands and forms man. He forms us from the earth. So that is literally the first time in Scripture that God touches something. He touches us. He forms us because we are different. We are created special with more intention from God. Why? Because you and I are worthy of more than just a syllable. He formed you with His hands. And so the story continues, uh, and we get to kind of Genesis 3. It's not long until we mess it up, unfortunately. Three chapters. Uh, God said it is good, and He steps back, and He said, This is good. All of this is for you. 
I have created everything for you. You can use anything except for that tree. Don't eat from that. That is all God says. So Genesis 3, Satan slithers his ugly little head into the story and approaches and asks the question. Four simple words that change the entire course of history. All he says are, did God really say? Did God really say? Satan's oldest tactic is to get us to question the Word of God. Did God really say that? And so what did Eve say back to God? Satan asked God, did God really say that you could not eat from that tree? And Eve responds with, yes, he said we should not eat from it or even touch it. And see, that's interesting. And what happened there is Eve actually misquoted God. If you read the passage, she gets it wrong. God gave the commandment for their protection. Everything I have created is for you, except do not eat from this one tree. That's it. He never said, do not touch it. He just said, do not eat from it. Eve misquotes God. She adds to the Word of God and puts her own words in there, her own rules, her own regulations. How often do we do this today? How often has God given us this incredible promise that He will fulfill this incredible book full of promises and and love, and then we start to bring in our own words, our own uh, interpretation, rules and regulations, and then all of a sudden it's about entirely something else that God hasn't said. We can take things and change them and twist them. Don't miss the important thing is that the Word of God, this thing here right here in your Bible, in your iPhone, wherever you have it, this Word of God is enough. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. We don't need to change it and twist it. The Word of God is enough for anything. Amen? But she misquotes God. So why did she do that? I believe when we look at the timeline, we have over here that God created all the animals and seas of the sea and of the land. And then He creates Adam, right? He creates Adam at this point. Then we move a little bit on. And after He's created Adam, He says that commandment. You have all of this garden. Eat what you please, but do not eat from that one tree. Then God sees Adam is lonely. And so He comes over here and He creates Eve. So that's the timeline. I believe that Eve misquotes God because she personally did not know the Word of God. She personally did not hear the Word of God. She was told from Adam what God said. She did not hear, she did not know the Word of God. She had only heard it through Adam. So perhaps many of us here today, the only time that you have heard the Word of God is through other people. You've heard Pastor Shane preach a message. You've heard it through your family. You've heard it from your nan, your grandmother, whoever. You've heard the Word of God through other people, but you don't know it personally for yourself. And I think that is where the enemy can come against us, when we don't know the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God for yourself? It's true that when Satan slithers his ugly head into your story, into your life, and asks you four questions, did God really say? What's the best answer you can stand with if you don't know the Word of God personally? I don't know. I think he said that. Maybe. I'm not sure. Did God really say you were special? Did God really say you have a purpose? You were chosen? You were loved? Did He really speak that over you? See, the Word of God is our weapon. And if we don't know it personally, we have nothing to stand on and fight back with. We need to know the Word of God ourselves. Another great example of this is uh, when Jesus actually is, is tempted in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. It's the same story. If you don't know it, you may have read it before. But basically, Jesus is led in the wilderness by Satan to be tempted, right? He's led willingly to be tempted by enemy. So what happens is Satan, the enemy of God, is trying to tempt the Son of God. And what does he use? The Word of God. 
Seems like a dumb battle if you ask me. But he tries nonetheless. Satan quotes Scripture against Jesus to try and get him to mess up. And the only reason that Jesus is able to stand and fight back and push back is because he stands on the Word of God. He knows the Word of God, but not only just a few verses. He doesn't just know the Word of God. He knows the heart of God. He knows what God's intentions are behind the words. He knows the true heart behind it. Satan is a fallen angel, so he knows the words, but Jesus knows the heart and Satan doesn't. That's why he can stand back, because he knows the word and he knows the heart of God. My question when I thought about this, God spoke this to me and it absolutely wrecked me. Does Satan know the word of God better than I do? That literally, like God put that in my head and it destroyed me. Does Satan know the word of God better than I know the word of God? If he can come at me and misquote Scripture, do I have the power to say, no, 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 God said this, he did not say that. God said, I am loved, I am treasured, I am powerful, I have authority. Do we know the Word of God better than Satan does? That absolutely destroyed me. Because if he knows the Word of God better than me, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in so much trouble. Because he's going to come into my life and attack me. He's going to try and get me to question God's Word. He's going to say, you know, did God really say this? He'll twist the Scripture and He'll use it against you. And if you don't know the the Word of God and understand the heart of God, you've got nothing to stand on. The Word of God is our weapon. We've been equipped with this to take into battle. If we don't take it with us, we've got nothing. No good soldier would step into battle without a sword. You see it on TV shows and movies, don't you? You see uh, cops or FBI or army and, and they pull apart their weapon, they clean it, they put it back together and then they do it again. They try to do it faster and faster and faster. Why do they do that? It's because they need to know their weapon. Why? Because their life depends on it. It's not just something that they carry around to look in, impressive and, and, and you know, scare people. It's something that they might have to call on at some point for their life. It depends on it. So what if, what if we knew our weapon with that same intimacy? What if we knew the Word of God and the heart of God with that same kind of intensity, that same kind of knowledge and relationship that no matter what comes against us, no matter what goes wrong, we can stand here and say, no, no, the Word of God says this, and that is how I fix that. No, no, the Word of God says this, that's how I fix that. No matter what happens in your life, there is something in here to fix that situation. And if there's not, it just says, pray and seek the Lord. There's something in here for anything in your life. Your life might depend on it. No matter what comes against, what goes wrong, we need to know how to use our weapon, what to say, what to do, and where to stand. Because we have a gift that we've been given and no good soldier marches into battle without his weapon. Don't settle for just the defensive pieces of armour. Don't, don't settle for just laying back and taking the blows when God has given you something to push back with. The last truth is this, uh, is truth number four, the armor of God is actually missing something. Silence before you email Pastor Shane or his executive assistant. Let me, let me explain. That's me. I'll talk to you after the service. If you read through this passage and you reflect on what we've been given, you'd see that we have the belt of truth of which everything hinges. The breastplate of righteousness comes from right standing with God. We put on the helmet of salvation that affects everything we see, think, and do. We have the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, ready with the shoes of the gospel of peace. 
all these elements put together that you might realize that there's nothing for your back. That little kid's picture, there's nothing on that kid's back, was there? He has the breastplate, he has the shield, the sword, but there's nothing for your back. And it's interesting, we've been given all these pieces to protect us. The shield of faith is not just a kid's toy. If anyone knows what the Roman shield looks like, there's a photo I've got here of it, because uh, it was actually something really impressive, something really large. Have we got that photo? I don't remember. Do we have the photo of the shield? I think we do. Yeah. The, shield, the Roman shield was actually approximately this high. It wasn't just a little plastic thing. And the concept of it, it was designed that they could do exactly that and hide, crouch down behind it, right? I didn't have enough time to make props this week. I wish I did. But you could hide behind the shield fully unless you were fat, but that's okay. And so, so the idea was that you hide behind this heavy piece of armor. You would deflect the flaming arrows from the enemy with it, right? But even though he's crouched and completely covered, his back's still exposed, isn't it? His back is completely open. The Roman shield was something that they carried into battle with them, disappeared completely behind, but their back is open. Now, some people would say, and they might be right, that, that as Christians, it's because we're told never to retreat. We're ne told never to run. We're told to push on and press forward in the battle. And that's right. But also in the Scripture, there is times that we are told to run. We are told to flee from battles. The perfect example is sexual temptation. We are told not to stand there and fight, but to flee, to run. So when you run, what's happening with your back? It is completely open, exposed for anything to get you, right? So perhaps we're not given a piece of armor to protect our back for this reason. Can I get my lovely fiance? Give her a round of applause. I'd like to brag that. <coughs> perhaps there's something for your back. Hi, welcome to stage. Do you want to turn around for a second? Perhaps there's nothing for your back because it should look like this. You've got a shield. She's got a shield. We can fight, but we've got each other's back, right? This is a picture of Christianity. She's short but she's got my back. <laughs> Thank you. You can sit down. You're wonderful. You're supposed to have my back and I'm supposed to have your back. That is a picture of Christianity. If that doesn't make sense, if you don't know what it says in Ecclesiastes 4.12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. How many of you today know that somebody's got your back? How many of you know that there's someone standing with you in the battle to fight? That is how we protect ourselves in the spiritual battle. We've been equipped with what God has given us, the breastplate, the shield, the sword, the helmet, the belt, the shoes, everything. But if we don't have someone to have our back, we're in trouble. So as Christians, we need to stand together and have each other's back. This is not an individual fight. This is not just putting on the armour of God and marching into battle. It's not just putting on the armour of God and going into a 2v2 kind of 1v1 battle. This is an army that we stand against. Roman soldiers didn't fight alone in isolation. That was one rule they were told. Never to fight alone. You were to fight like this and form a shield wall. If I could get the band up, that would be amazing. I'm going to kind of start to close. But when we realize a spiritual battle isn't something we fight alone, but together. And so this was formed when a, uh, the commander of the Roman army would shout out a word called testudo, which actually kind of coolly means tortoise or turtle. Kind of find that fun. And so what they would form is this shell-like formation, right? And it was with this shield wall that they would actually push back the enemy, that they could take advancing steps and take new territory. 
Now, what you see is you don't see one soldier in the middle going, I got this, you guys stand back, I got this, and walking forward on his own, do you? There is strength in numbers. These guys fight together side by side, linking. This is a picture of Christian community. This is a picture of our church fighting side by side, linking my shield of faith with your shield of faith, with the person next to you's shield of faith. We stand together and we can push back the enemy. See, this shows what our lives should look like. You've got my back, I've got yours. Linking shields of faith, taking new ground for Jesus' name. So why does this matter? Because too many of us fight alone. So many of us are just fighting alone. We're losing ground, we're losing faith, we're struggling because we're isolated. You're standing out on your own. You've got no one supporting you. So as I finish, I want to ask you this. Who's your shield wall? Who's got your back? Who's fighting with you and protecting you? And who are you protecting? It's not a battle alone. You put your, if I put my armour of God on and you don't, I'm still vulnerable. If you put yours on and I don't, you're still vulnerable. Together is how we stand and how we conquer. If nobody has your back, if no one stands there to support you, you're still vulnerable from the attacks of the enemy. So today, let's just suit up. Let's take up the armour of God. Let's put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, the belt, the shield, the sword, the shoes, and stand together, not alone. And I pray, I pray that as a church, we have each other's back. No matter what comes against, no matter what situations look like, no matter how worship stands, no matter how the computer runs, how the seats look, that we stand together and have each other's back as a church. Because there is strength in numbers, there is community in this church. So this morning, we're just going to worship and I want to pray for a few people. If you want prayer for this, we'd love to pray for you. I believe that there's someone here that's just been fighting on their own. They're just standing out there going, I'm just, I'm tired I'm losing faith. I'm losing ground. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm on my own. This morning, if that's you, we want to stand with you. We want to stand with you and support you and say, yeah, it sucks. Paul told us that the battle is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But if we stand together, it can be a little bit easier. It can be just that little bit more empowering. So if this morning, if that's you, we want to pray for you. But more importantly, this morning, if you don't understand any of this, if you've never heard of a God that loves you, if you've never heard of this faith that we talk about, There is no greater time than right now to come forward and ask for prayer. We would pray with you. We would love to invite you to speak to the Lord. There's a next step station if you'd rather go to the back. We want to give you that opportunity to say, I I believe in this community. I feel like family. I feel like people have my back. So I want to stand and make that commitment. So why don't we stand and worship? I'm just going to hand back to Dave. And we're just going to worship for a second.